All right, well, let's look at God's Word today. Let's get into 2 Peter. Um, I hope you've been enjoying 2 Peter uh, as much as I have and that God has been um, showing His sovereignty by bringing people and situations into your life where you can say, you know what? I know where the Bible talks about that. Uh, you know, 2 Peter is a, is a great place to go. Because I'll guarantee you this, if you take someone to 2 Peter, you're going to blow their mind. Uh, if you tell someone, you know, have you read the Gospel of John? People are like, everyone's read John. Uh, but if you're like, you know, in Second Peter, uh, they'll think you are a true Bible scholar. Uh, Norma, if you can even just find Second Peter. Uh, but just a, a good chance to really rely on God's word. I pray God has done that. At least that he's laid on your heart the, the first three verses that we looked at. When we see what God had done for us in salvation. Um, that at the start of, of Second Peter, God has uh, given us our faith. That our faith is from him that he has given us all that we need for life and godwardness, that he's gifted us his precious and very great promises, enabling us to uh, escape, you know, sort of rescuing us, redeeming us from this corrupt world with its sinful desires, all of that stuff. So now we, we were into that section, starting in verse 5, of, of how do you respond to God who's done all this for you, you you quickly uh, work to get certain traits dancing with the faith that he's started in your heart. So he's begun this tune of faith in your heart and given you all the things you need to live a godly life. And then he gives you a list of, of what that's going to look like. What is it going to look like to have a life that is that is geared uh, toward him? So we just quickly, uh, we use the words that I used in, instead of the, the, the ESV. So if you're like, this doesn't follow along. Uh, excellence, knowledge, Discipline, uh, faithful endurance, godwardness, family affection within the body. And then last week we saw the importance of love. So he's finished the list. That's the end of the list. But he's not necessarily done with the list. Now, he's not going to add anything else to it. But he does continue to talk about why that list is important. Why, it's, why those things, those particular seven things are going to be important in the life of of the believer why is it so important that we that we do these things we, we know the first reason that he mentioned in verse five is it's important to do these because of what god has done for us so just the simple fact of verses one through four why is it important to do this list because look at what god's done for you so if god's done all this then this list is really nothing of the things that you should be striving to have in your life because of what god has done for you and because of what he's doing in you but now he's going to give us two other reasons. Uh, one, a negative, and one, a positive. Verse 8 and 9 are going to be the negative. Uh, really showing that if you, why is it important to have these? Because if you don't have these, uh, it means this. So to not have them is, is going to mean this, and we're going to see. It's going to mean that you have, you know, a totally useless uh, knowledge of God. Uh, and then uh, next week, we'll look at verses 10 and 11. The positive, uh, if you do have these things, it means this. And we're going to see how important it is for the assurance of our faith. But let's read verses uh, 8 through 11. Uh, and then we'll, we'll, go, uh, we'll go from there. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. We'll just do verses 8 and 9 today, the negative, but we'll read 8 and 11. So you can see the negative in 8 and 9 and then the positive in 10 and 11. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective 
or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these things, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that the things we've been looking at that uh, you gave to Peter to share to your church and then your uh, church worldwide uh, eternal, um, God, that we would latch onto these, that we would treasure you for the good that you've done for us uh, and that we would then get to work living a life uh, that is Godward, that is focused on you, that is spurred because of the faith you've given us, because of the tools you've given us to do everything we need for life and godliness. You have supplied us richly, uh, rescued us from this world. Now, Father, may we get to work for your glory. Please, Father, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll start out. Looking at verse 8 and 9, the, the negative side, if you don't have these things, what does it mean? And we're going to see that if you don't have this list, it's really going to show that, that your knowledge of God is useless. That you've got a useless knowledge of God if you don't have those things. That it's having these things that is going to show whether or not you actually uh, know the Lord or if your knowledge is, as it's going to say, ineffective and unfruitful. So let's start out at the beginning of verse 8. For... If these qualities are yours and are increasing, literally, if these things have begun in you and are increasing in you. So so that's the if, right? What's the if? Uh, Have these things begun in you and are they increasing in you? So the first thing you've got to look at, do you have these things? Have they begun in your heart? That's the word there for if they are in you. If it's not the normal word for are, it's a different word showing that something has begun in someone, that something has sort of sprouted up. If these things uh, have started in your heart and we, we know where that comes from. It's got to come from God. If God has begun these things, if he has seeded your heart with these things and you start to see them sprout up, and we know that these qualities can only be ours, these seven things can only be in our lives if God is at work in our hearts. These are not natural things for anybody to have. The natural heart does not desire these things. So the first thing you've got to ask is, is, has God changed my heart so that I see these things? These things have, they're in my heart. They're there. They've begun in me. So we're supposed to act. That's the, that's the first question. Uh, here's the list. You've looked at the list. Now, do you have these things? So verse 8 starts out with. So here's the list. Down to verse 7. Now, if these things have begun in you. So it's the first question we're going to ask. Do you have these things? When you look at those seven things, can you, can you see them? Again, they may not be mature yet. They're, they may not all be oaks of righteousness, right? You may not look at every one of them and say, man, so big, so large, growing so much in that, so awesome there. They may not be mature yet, but they will be visible, right? Like when you, when you see, have you, has anyone ever tried to seed new grass, right? And it's like you're, those seeds are like little tiny golden pebbles uh, and you put them out there and you like block it off so no one touches the grass right it's just dirt but then what happens what do you see you start to see the little shoots of grass right 
Now, when you see the little shoots, you don't go, it didn't work because it's not all green yet, right? You recognize, okay, the grass is growing. It's beginning to take root. Uh, Something's going to come from that. You at least need to see that in our lives. We need to see that these things are at least at the seed level because God seeds every heart of his children with these things. Every one of us should have these characteristics visible in our life if we're a Christian. Okay, you got a, you got a real problem if you don't see these things, if you don't see all of them. Now, it, just pastorally, you may be dealing with some guilt or conviction or uh, unnecessary guilt from whatever. And you say, I, I, I don't know if I see this. I'll pray that you would. Uh, and know that often that's the first step to God growing that fruit in your heart uh, is going and saying, oh, I don't see this. I want this. But we've got a problem if, if we don't see these things. So what we can't do is we can't do what we did in school, right? Where you ask the question, how much do I need to pass? Right? This isn't a how much do you need to pass sort of list. Like, you know, St. Peter is up there in heaven uh, guarding the gates and he's got this list. Now we know what Peter has at the pearly gates, right? He's got this list. Uh, no, it's not like you're going to get up there and you say, well, you got to have five to get in. Um, I remember the other day we was talking to a, a kid uh, and he was taking finals uh, or not taking finals because he said, I've got a B so I don't have to take finals. Uh, which is good because I would fail it. Uh, and I was like, well, then I looked at Zach. <laughs> so how does he have a B, Zach? Uh, how does he have a B? And he's like, I'm glad I don't have to take that test because I would flunk it. Uh, I know nothing about this class. Uh, that's not what we're doing here. You don't get to look at this and say, okay, I've got some of these. So I think I've got enough that I'm okay. Here he says, you need to see these things, not some of them. He says, these things need to be in your life. And that's important because what we often do is we either set the bar to a certain level or we think the ones that are the most important are the ones we've already got, right? So we'll look at the ones we've got and say, well, I've got these and those are the really important ones. Like this one over here, self-control. Well, who's got that? Uh, but knowledge, man, I am so knowledgeable. Uh, you know, oh, I, I, I've got love for everybody. Uh, or whatever, the ones, the ones that are important are all of them, right? You need to be able to see all of these. The believers must have all of these things that work in their new life. You cannot have a Christian who doesn't possess all of these fruits, at least in some form. Just like with the fruits of the Spirit. If God has saved you, he's, if he's gifted you with faith, he's also given you these things. When he says everything you need for life and godliness, this is part of that. Again, they may not be where they need to be, as we're going to see in the next, the next part of this verse, but they, they should be there. So the first thing you've got to ask is, do you have these things? So as you're looking at that list, hopefully you were uh, uh, looking at the list and seeing them, at least in small form. Uh, but the beginning of these things is not the end of the issue for Peter, is it? He doesn't just say, if you've got these things, then everything's going to be great. What does he say? If you have these things, what? And they're, what does he say? He's like, I don't have the notes in front of me. I don't know what it says. Uh, They're increasing, right? He says, if these things have begun in you, or if you have these things and they are increasing, will stink, right? I was happy that I just found them. 
But Peter says, he, he doesn't let us off the hook here by just saying, all you got to do is be able to find these things in your life. So you sort of find it. I found a, I found a sliver of discipline in my life. So everything's great. I've, I've got a, a tidbit of knowledge, excellence, eh, maybe a little bit. Uh, he doesn't let us off the hook. He says these things are supposed to be in our lives and they're supposed to be ever increasing in our lives. And if these things are yours and are increasing, the Christian life is not a building block of new traits as you grow. So you get, you, you know, you reach level four and then the Christian learns about steadfastness. And then you become a level five Christian and you become faithful. And then at a level seven Christian, holiness. That's right. Level seven is when you get holiness. That's not what happens. The, the, the Christian life is not these new characteristics that you get along the way. The Christian life is a constant growth in some very fundamental truths that God plants in the hearts of believers from the time of their new birth. Take, for example, the question of excellence. Now, what does it mean that these things will grow in your life? That they've got to be ever increasing. Well, what is excellent? Well, what is excellent in the Christian life actually changes as you grow as a Christian. What was excellent in their life when they first became Christians is probably not the same as they grow in their Christian faith. It's the same like we do with children. Right. If you have a child, you know, and the child starts walking at, you know, uh, 10 months, you're like, way to go, buddy. And you're clapping and you're videoing it and you're putting it on the, the gram. Right. And letting everybody see it and everyone's excited. But you're not still clapping at 10 years. Right. When the 10 year olds walk in, you're not like, wow, that is still why? Because it's no longer excellent. Right. Maturity has shown you need to you need to be striving for a bit more. You need to be, this isn't really excelling here, buddy. You know, him walking in at 10, like, look at this, mom. You know, no one's going to think that's excellent. It's no long, now it's the same thing, right? Still walking, but it's no longer excellent because their growth should have changed the level of excellence. So it is as a Christian, when we get to a certain level of our lives, what was excellent when you first became a Christian and you're like, you're not going to believe this. I, you know, I read some of the Old Testament, you know, I, I, I've read it and I liked it. Uh, but as you grow as a believer, those things, what is excellent in your life will change. You will be striving for new things as you grow in your maturity. So what is excellent, for example, will be increasing in, in your life. So, so it's not getting to a certain level of something on this list and then you've got it. These things are to be ever-growing, ever-increasing in the Christian life. Uh, again, I, I don't want us to get too precise and think that Peter has in mind us being able to go, well, my, my self-control is at 40% this year, and it was at 37% last year, uh, so I'm doing, I'm doing much better. I don't think he's being that precise in terms of are these things growing or not, but I think he's recognizing what we all know to be true. As a Christian, you know whether or not you're doing well. You know whether or not you're growing as a Christian or not. You know. We all know in our lives, am I growing in my Godwardness or not? Am I doing better this year than I was last year? Am I loving the Lord more? 
Am I loving the brothers and sisters in Christ more? Is my knowledge increasing? I mean, those say you can know that. No one, you don't normally have to sit down and work out percentages on that because you know. And so since you know that, the believer, you can never be satisfied. It's sort of the minimal level in your Christian life. That God doesn't keep the Christian at the minimum level. That the Christian life is one of growth, and that means a growth in these things will be continually happening in the heart of believers, that God is perpetually growing these things in his children. I mean, talk about upping the list there, and it, it does. You should see these things in your life, but God doesn't just sprout them in your life. He grows them. So each of these traits should be growing in your Christian life, should be increasing. And so Christian, let me encourage you, just asking your, your heart before we even get into these things, you already know if, if that first part is true. You already know, do you see these things in your life? And not only do you see these things, do you see them growing? Do you see your Christian life maturing in these things? Because God at work in your heart will cause that to happen. He will be growing these things. They will be increasing. So one, you should be praying, God, make them increase more and more. But as a Christian, it's essential that we not only have these fruits, but that these fruits be growing, be increasing. Why? Why is it so important? Because we're going to see this useless knowledge that comes if we don't have them. Why should the Christian not only have these things, why should they be growing in their life, not just pursue them, pursue their growth? Why is that so important? He says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, what do they do? They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we've seen, we've talked about the importance of knowledge in Second Peter. That uh, this is now, I mean, when you're looking at the verse, this is now the fifth time that Peter uses the word knowledge. That's five times in, in what is essentially three sentences. The first three sentences of the book. Five times he's talked about knowledge. Uh, at least once in each sentence. And what have we seen about knowledge so far? Well, so far we've seen that grace and peace are multiplied to us through the knowledge of God and of Jesus. We see that God gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. How? Through knowledge. We've seen that knowledge is one of the things on the list we just looked at. One of the things that should be dancing with our faith. And here we see what happens if, if we don't have these things. If this list isn't going on, what's going to happen? He says, then your knowledge that you've got is ineffective and unfruitful. If you don't have these things, then you're going to have an ineffective and unfruitful knowledge of God. In other words, not a real knowledge. What does it mean to be ineffective and unfruitful? Well, he's not talking about success. And I think that's normally how we use in, in Bible terms and in Christian circles, words like ineffective and ineffective ministry, an unfruitful ministry. Uh, you can see how I feel about those words. <laughs> it's like my ineffective. Uh, that's not really how it's being used here. Um, the word ineffective here is a word that means to be idle. You have a, it, it, it literally means it's the combination of the word not and working. 
to be, to be not working. Your, your knowledge would be not working. It's also translated sometimes in other passages as, like I said, idle or lazy or useless. Useless. The word we would use would be unemployed, not working. Your knowledge is unemployed. A knowledge, in other words, a knowledge that doesn't change your life. A knowledge, you say, I know God. But if your knowledge of God doesn't change how you live, to where you're wanting to excel for the Lord, you're wanting, you're wanting to be to know Him more, you're being disciplined, you're faithfully enduring, you're doing all these things because of what God has done. If if you if you can know God and not want those things in your life, he's saying that knowledge is an unemployed knowledge. It is an idle, worthless knowledge. It is unemployed in your life. Your knowledge is supposed to do these things, and your knowledge is sitting on the couch in the middle of the day eating potato chips, right? Because that's what knowledge is supposed to do. Your knowledge is waiting for a handout. When real knowledge of the Lord is supposed to drive you to work for the God who has done this for you. He says, so if you think you know God, but these things aren't in your life and aren't growing, you have an ineffective, an idle, a lazy, a worthless knowledge of God. You have a knowledge that doesn't work because it's supposed to change your lives. It's the whole purpose of knowing God. So if you have a knowledge that doesn't grow these Christian traits, then your knowledge isn't doing what knowledge is supposed to do. It's broken. It's unworking. James uses this word in a very similar way when he talks about, instead of knowledge, he uses the word faith. Right, and which is very similar to what Peter's saying here, right? Your faith, these things should be working with that faith. This faith comes by knowledge of God. Well, he's saying, Peter's saying, if if these things aren't happening, then there's something wrong with your knowledge. James is just going to jump to a different level and say, if these things aren't happening, there's something wrong with your faith. So he says in James chapter two, verse twenty, "Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith?" apart from works, is useless. There's that word, useless, is unworking, ineffective. Same word. A faith that doesn't change how you live is a useless faith. It's an unworking faith, an ineffective faith. In the same way, knowledge, which is, which give, is given us and creates that faith, knowledge that doesn't work itself out in these things that he's mentioned is a useless knowledge. It's an ineffective knowledge because knowledge is supposed to affect us. If knowledge doesn't affect you, what good is it? I mean, that's what we gripe about when we think about school, right? Why am I learning this? I'm never going to use it. Why do I need to know this? At least in my school, there are a couple of students that ask that question. And because it feels useless, right? And he's saying, look, if knowledge is supposed to change how you live, a knowledge of God that doesn't change our lives, resulting in these very, very basic fruits is an ineffective, a worthless knowledge. In other words, you think you know God, but you must not know God. Because if you really knew God, this is what would happen in your life, both by his work in your life, is he gives you everything you need for life and godliness and in response to who you've seen that God is. So Peter is saying these things need to be in your life and they need to be growing because if they're not, your knowledge of God is broken. 
You have a broken knowledge of God. It's the same thing we saw with love last week, right? I mean, this sort of thing is not new. You know, last week we saw if someone says they love God but, but do not love their brothers, you don't, even, you don't even know God. You don't even know him. But he, Peter doesn't just use the word ineffective. He uses another word because God wants us to feel extra bad, right? Uh, no, really, he wants to show the, the danger of this. Uh, ineffective and what? Ineffective and unfruitful. A knowledge that doesn't change our character, that doesn't change our life, is not only ineffective, it is unfruitful. In case you don't know, in the Bible, being unfruitful is not a good thing. It's expected that when God changes our hearts, there is fruit from that change. So, if you've got someone who says there's been a change, but there is no fruit, and God says if there is a change, there will be fruit, who's going to be wrong here? God says, you know me, there will be fruit. You say, I know God, but there is no fruit. Who's right and who's wrong? God is always right. right? It doesn't matter if you say, no, 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 I really know him. There are times when the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. A heart that has been changed by God will bear fruit. The Spirit will grow fruit in their life. Think about what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, right? When he told him that we must be born again by whom? By the Spirit. And then Paul, when he's picking that up, talks about what happens when the Spirit makes us born again. So how do I know if I've been born again by the Spirit? What does that look like? Do I just go around saying, yeah, I've been born again by the Spirit. He says, no, it will change your life. There will be what? What does Paul say in Galatians 5? There will be what of the Spirit? Fruit. There will be fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul starts talking about the things that will burst out of our hearts when the Spirit makes us born again. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ uh, Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Remember there in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is saying that for the Galatians, you're either in the flesh with its passions and desires, which he just talked about previously in Galatians 5, or you're in the spirit. You're saved. Either you're in the flesh and therefore lost, or you have the fruits of the Spirit in your heart, which is a sign that you are indeed saved. But if you have the Spirit, these things will be seen in your life. The Spirit will be seen in your life. How is the Spirit seen in your life? The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that God has saved you, that the Spirit has made you born again. Well, compare that with what Peter said. Peter has said the same thing. He says, God has given us faith. And set us free from this corrupt world with its desires. And part of that being set free from the corrupt world uh, and its sinful desire, the sinful world and its corrupt desires, part of that true saving knowledge of God that, re- that pulls us out of that corrupt world, that allows us to escape from that corrupt world, part of the sign that you truly know God like that, that he's given you faith, is the fruit of these Godward desires. How do I know that I've been rescued from the flesh? Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. Peter says, how do I know that I've escaped this corrupt world with its sinful desires? Peter says, these are your desires. Here they are. This is what your fruit looks like. 
This is what it looks like when God gives you true knowledge of him. These are the things that you want and that grow because God grows them in our hearts. But neither Peter nor Paul are saying anything new. And Peter, Peter, Peter is actually just saying something very similar to what Christ said to him. Christ already said the same thing to him. Peter's just repeating uh, what Jesus already said. John chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may what? Bear more fruit. So so look what you got here. Here we see a branch that claims to be in Christ. Every branch in me, right? So it's claiming to be in Christ. But if this branch isn't bearing fruit, to use Peter's word, if it's unfruitful, those unfruitful branches are thrown where? Into the fire. But true believers, not only do they bear fruit, not only do they have these things, but they are what? Increasing, like Peter says, true believers not only bear fruit, it says God prunes them so that they bear what? More fruit. That their fruit is increasing, to steal Peter's word. So Jesus, again, is just, is just with Peter saying the same thing, that a true branch will bear fruit and it will bear more and more fruit. We see the same thing uh, in talking of the parable of the soils. Matthew chapter 13, we see unfruitfulness mentioned there uh, in the seed sown among thorns. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So you've got someone who hears the word, but they get distracted by the cares of the world. They start listening to the deceitfulness of riches And the word that might have sprouted up ends up being choked out and is proven to be unfruitful. But when God changes the soil of the heart, we see what really happens in the next verse, in verse 23. Jesus describes that as a heart that does bear fruit. So verse 23, he says in Matthew 13, as for what was sown on good soil, so, okay, so there we see, so the other was sown not on good soil, right? The soil hadn't been changed, so the seed was there. Might have looked like it sprouted up, but since it didn't increase, it didn't bear fruit, it was choked out, it was shown to not be true good soil. But seed sown on good soil, on hearts changed by the Lord, what happens there? This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit. There's the, that you have these things, they have begun in you. And what about the fruit? And yields in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60 and in another 30. So again, we see the same thing. That a life that has been changed, that a life that truly knows the Lord is going to be a fruitful life. And what does it mean to be fruitful? It's not talking about success in any way. It's talking about here, fruits of the spirit, fruits of a heart that's been changed by God. You will have godly desires. And again, like he says, true knowledge, true understanding of God's word results in fruit, but not just in a single fruit, not just fruit once. This isn't that plant that like blooms once every 150 years, right? 
You can't say that you're some sort of exotic flower that just bloomed when you're eight years old and said a sinner's prayer. Uh, and then, you know, uh, that's it. You know, you'll just wait and get to eternity. Like, well, that's, that was my blooming. God says, if you're, a true, if you're truly his, you'll bear fruit. And if you're truly his, not only will you bear fruit, he'll prune you so that you bear more fruit. If you truly have good soil in your heart, if God has changed your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, not only will you grow fruit, you will pr- produce a yield 160, 30 fold. What we want to see is that it's not saying if you don't have these things, your Christian life will be less effective or your ministry will be less fruitful. It's saying if you don't have these things and they're not increasing, you must not know God. Something far more important than an effective ministry or a fruitful ministry. It's not working. It's a dead vine. Because God grows these fruits in his people and grows them more and more. That's why the idea that we can laugh at someone backsliding is ridiculous. If we can just talk about backsliding, as if it's a natural part of every Christian life. To the point that we then become okay with it on our own lives. I'm just struggling. I'm just, listen, Christian, you need to say, if you've got knowledge of God, that fruit needs to be in there and it needs to be increasing. Not just needs to be, it will be. Because God promises that's what he does in the hearts of his children. So you need to look at those seven things and not see them just as a burden to have to get through a list, have to check off. You need to see those things and say, this is, this is my comfort. Because if I don't have these things, God says, you need to be very uncomfortable. If you don't have these things and, and they're not growing in your life, you need to be very uncomfortable. We see how uncomfortable in the very next verse. What does he say? For whoever lacks these qualities, if you lack these things, is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The person who does not possess these things, whose life is not bearing fruit, whose faith is, is worthless, is someone who has forgotten what salvation was about altogether. You've, you've forgotten what you were even saved for, why, why you were cleansed from your sins. Like, like Spurgeon said when the man said he didn't need to come to church or live a godly life because he'd been saved. And Spurgeon said, saved from what? You're still sinning. Say from what? what? What have you been cleansed from? You're going right back to it. So we're Romans chapter 6. He says a person like that is a person who is blind, is nearsighted, myopic is the word we still use. That they're missing, they're forgetting what we're saved from. Now, I, I love this verse because it doesn't seem like a verse you'd normally love. Uh, I love it because I think it's pretty helpful because it teaches us that cleansing from sin and righteous living go hand in hand. That if you're pursuing good in your life, or if you're not pursuing good in your life, then you have forgotten the whole purpose of being set free from sin, that you are set free from sin. I mean, this is Romans 6. You're set free from sin to become what? Slaves to God. God in his grace makes you a slave. That's why I get frustrated when people are like, God would never make you a slave. I'm like, God, you better pray God makes you his slave. Because there is no better life than to be a slave of the Lord. As soon as he took my chains off, I'm like, tie me up, man. Bind me to you. There's no greater thing than God to bind us 
to himself. He says, if God has set us free from sin, that's what happens. Forgiveness and Godwardness go hand in hand. That you don't have someone who is saved from their sins, but not living a godly life. The whole purpose of the cleansing from sin is he gives them a heart that then pursues him. Otherwise, if the heart doesn't pursue him, it's still in the same place. Because when God changes our hearts, when he cleanses us from our sin, he always causes us to want to live a Godward life. So you can have someone who's been cleansed from their sin and has no desire for God. And I don't know if you're a parent or grandparent. Listen, we need to hear this. It doesn't matter if your kid prayed a prayer a long time ago. If they have no desire for God, then God says they have no knowledge of him. And God warns us about that for good reasons so that we can come to them and say, look, the Bible says because you, because you're not seeking these, these things, you don't have these things. You've forgotten. You're blind. You're nearsighted. You've forgotten why you were cleansed from your sins. Because if God changes, if God saved you, like you say, then he'll give you a heart for him. So if you don't have a heart for him, honey, sweetie, wife, daughter, husband, son, grandson, friend, whoever, you don't have a heart for him, there's something wrong. This is the way God has always spoken of salvation. Uh, Ezekiel 36. We just read this two weeks ago or three weeks ago. It gets all lost up in the Christmas fugue. How many weeks ago it was? God, look at how God talks about in salvation, how he does both. There's both a cleansing and a Godwardness that is involved in the cleansing from sin. The cleansing doesn't just happen by itself, sort of clean you and then sort of set you down. He cleans you and he sets you on your way. So Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. There's the cleansing from your former sins. But what else does he do? I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And what? Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Cleansed from unrighteousness, but also what? Given a new heart, given new affections, caused to walk in God's ways. Yes, forgiven, but then set what? Set to Godwardness. We see this Godwardness in Ezekiel 37, verse uh, 23. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backsliding in which they've sinned and will cleanse them. So there again, we have forgiveness of sins, cleansing from sins, and what? And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I mean, that was the reason the people had sinned. They, they weren't treating God like their God. He wasn't their God. The, the idols were their gods, the gods of the nations. They themselves were their gods, but God wasn't. And so he says, when I cleanse them from their sins, when I take these dry bones that are very dry, that's Ezekiel 37, and I make them live, one of the things that's going to be seen is that I will be their God. Saved from sin, cleansed, but what? They'll be my people. I will be their God. So in salvation, we're saved both from something and for something. In true salvation. As a Christian, you're both saved from something and for something. 
These Christians, by not pursuing the good, by not pursuing things on this list, if if a Christian was doing that, they'd be forgetting the whole purpose of their cleansing from sin. They'd be so missing what salvation is about, it would be as if they were blind. Another important thing we learn from this passage is that this isn't talking about different levels of Christianity. This is talking about all Christians. We're not supposed to look at these things as things we can shoot for in our Christian life. These items are all at our disposal because of what God has done for us. Our job is not to create these things, but to get them working, to get them moving, because God has supplied these things. He's given us these things. Now we need to get to work. So we shouldn't look at this list as some sort of goal for our Christian life or some sort of future hope. These are the things that are there. God has supplied you with, given everything you need for these things. So you can see this list with with confidence. We don't want to make this list about you. This list is ultimately about God, about what God has done in you. And if God has done this in you, if he's truly saved you, these are the things that you will see and that will be increasing. Because that's what he does in people that he's truly saved. And it's interesting, though, because it also teaches us if we don't have these things, we don't have them because we don't want them. If you lack these things, if they're not increasing, the problem isn't with God. The problem's with you. You are forgetting. You are the one being nearsighted. In other words, the joy Christian uh, and the scary Christian, if, if you pursue these things, you'll find them. And if you don't have them, it must be because you don't want them. I mean, that should be both scary and comforting, right? Scary, because why would you not want these things? But comforting, because for believers, God promises that these things can and will be yours. Why is it so important that we not have this this useless knowledge uh, first because of what God has done for us, uh, but now he shifts the focus to our lives, Uh, that you do not want to have a useless knowledge of God. This list is important because if you don't have this list, it might mean you don't have God. And that should frighten you. But with that is also the promise that if you have God, he will grow these things in you and he will cause them to increase. Now, what we're going to see is he's not trying to scare these people. Peter is going to be assuming that these things will be in their lives. He's going to say that. He's going to say that in the very next verses. He said, that's why I'm reminding you of these things, because you know these things. I know that you know these things. Next week, we'll see that when we do have these things, when we see them working in our hearts and in our lives, it's going to give us great assurance that our salvation is real. But this week, let's look at those, that first question. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. Let's ask, do you have these things and are they increasing? Or do you have a knowledge of God that is a lazy knowledge? How has knowing God changed your life? And how is it changing your life every day? Every day. Knowing him more every day. Striving for greater excellence every day. Being more disciplined every day. Is your faith a growing faith? Or is your knowledge of God sitting there unemployed? Is it uh, the tree in your life? Is it barren or did it grow fruit, you know, years ago? It's not increasing. These things that we've seen need to be growing in our lives. Is your faith a growing faith? I I, I love this because I think Peter was writing to the 
to a Baptist church when he wrote this. Because I think many struggles in Baptist church life can come back to passages like this. People trusting in a faith that that sprouted a flower one time years ago. I, I, this, he, I'm okay because I prayed a prayer once. I'm okay because I was baptized. I did that something that one time a long time ago, so I must be fine. And Peter comes and says, look, you need to have this and they need to be increasing or you have no knowledge of God. You cannot hang your hat on a fruit that you saw on a tree 20 years ago. And we won't do that in real life, right? You don't go outside and say, that's the world's best apple tree out there. Really? Yeah, it grew one apple a decade ago, but it was so good. Has it grown anything since then? Oh, no, not at all. In fact, it's full of worms, but that apple was pretty cool. We don't do that. Yet somehow we do that with our Christian, Christian faith. Some of us have been trusting in a fruit that we saw, but the vine has been pretty stale for a while. Some of us had really trusting faith as children, or we were, had a very active and godly faith in college. Some of us uh, were doing so much and growing so much, but if we're honest and we looked at our life now, when we look back, all of a sudden that, you know, I was growing, we start counting the years, it was a long time ago. Maybe something happened, maybe you went through a hard time, maybe you're going through a hard time. But when you look at your life today, you can't say these things are growing and increasing. Let this verse be a, these verses be a wake-up call to you. Don't be satisfied with past faith. Don't be satisfied with past growth. Peter says these things should be in your life and be increasing. Don't let the fact that everybody else is okay, that they're not doing well, make you okay that you're not doing well. Can you say that these things are not only in your life, but they're increasing? If not, why? Why? Do you just need to be convicted by these passages? Peter's going to say to them, do you just need to be reminded? Some of you just need to be reminded. And the thing is there, and you need to, you need to cultivate it and grow it and, and work it, and, and you, need to, you need to get to work. Some of you just need to be convicted by this. Fall on your face and God, I've been too okay with not being okay. But we need to run to Christ. If you see these things and you're not, they're not in your life, run to Christ and then get to work. Because God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. So get to work using the things that he's given. Uh, let's pray that we would not have a useless knowledge of God. And then we'll take the Lord's Supper together.